Hey, what's up everybody? My name's MJ and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine Podcast. As usual, before we begin, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to use utilize this opportunity to give a huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash MTG in Quarantine. So a huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Vince, Anomaly, Nick S., Frugal Brutal, Jenna the Filthy MTG Casuals, and Coach j for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash Quarantine for more information. A few days ago, I started a new series on non-basic lands that produce only one colored type of mana, and basically just talking about the different non-basic lands that fit under that criteria and all the cool and kind of silly things that they do, as well as giving my own opinion on some of the, maybe some of the utility that these cards have, and just kind of some of the awesome bits of flavor they have on them, and just, yeah, a whole bunch of really cool stuff. I just really like talking about this stuff, and for today's episode, I'm going to be focusing on the second color in Wooburg order, and that is blue. Obviously, Blue is known for doing a whole lot of crazy things, and the lands that I will be talking about in this episode are no exception. Obviously, before I get started here, I'm going to give a ground rule that I decided when I started the series with White last time that I was only going to choose lands that created specifically Blue Mana. Obviously, there are a lot of lands out there like Mana Confluence, City of Brass, etc., etc., that allow you to create one mana of any color, I chose to omit those because I only want to talk about those lands that tap for blue mana specifically. So I will be skipping over lands that produce only colorless mana that may have a blue color identity. So I will only, again, talk about cards that will tap for blue and are non-basic lands that are not islands. So without further ado, I'd like to get started. So we're going to start our list off here with a modal dual face card. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of these from Zendikar Rising, and that is Vyene Coast. There's Battlefield Tapped. Tapped out of blue on its land side, obviously just like the others. But you have Bayin Veil on the other side, an instant for one and a blue. Reading creatures your opponents control get negative two, negative O until end of turn. Very nice little effect here to be able to blunt your opponent's attack if they're coming after you. Nice little way to be able to lessen if, if they're swinging in with a lot of tokens. Let's say someone's using Overrun. Well, all of a sudden now your one one tokens are four fours. And the Veil here will make them have two power. So all of a sudden, you've cut that in half right there. Obviously, it's probably not going to save you in the vast majority of situations, but you never know. Might be useful. And the fact that it has a landscape on the other side makes it very, very playable. So if you're interested in a neat, a neat little combat trick to protect yourself, something Blue is amazing at is only $0.07. Cents. So definitely take a look at that uh, if you're interested. Second card on the list is Castle Vantress. Obviously, I talked a lot about Castle Ardenvale in my episode on white and how I really enjoyed the fact that you could create soldier tokens using that card. And this is from the exact same cycle from Throne of Eldraine. Castle Vantress enters the battlefield tapped unless you control an island. Especially if you're playing a mono blue, you're probably going to have multiple islands out there already by the time you play this, so it can come in untapped fairly easily. Taps out of blue, and you can pay two blue blue and tap it to scry two. Um, scrying is obviously a very useful mechanic here, but again, for five mana, scrying two is probably not the most useful uh, use of your resource, especially since you have to tap this. So again, I think Castle Ardenvale, at least in my opinion, is far more powerful than this because you're able to really affect the board state more by putting a soldier into play. Obviously, scrying two can really help you in a pinch, especially if you have a bunch of extra mana on someone's end step, but 
again, I feel like it's a very expensive, uh, very expensive payoff for, for just being able to scry to, especially when there are a lot of instants that can do the same thing. Now, that being said, the fact that you ha can have that utility on a land is very nice. The fact that you can have a mana sink if you need it, and, and basically, basically this is an island just with some upside. Maybe that upside isn't nearly as uh, major as I would consider uh, Castle Ardenvale to be, or some of the other castles in the set. But again, the fact that it's an island effectively and it can come and untap most of the time, and at least have an ability, it's it's pretty nice to have that ability. So yeah, Castle Vantress, uh, if you're interested in just having a mana sink and pretty much a 95% of the time island, yeah, this works. Next card on this list is also part of a cycle back from Odyssey. And that probably the most expensive one of the cycle actually, because it's really good. And that is Cephalid Colosseum. This is a card I see in CDH all the time, and there's a very good reason for that. So you can tap, just like with all the other lands in the cycle, you can tap it and add blue to your mana pool, and Cephalid Colosseum, Colosseum excuse me, deals one damage to you. But what's really nice about these is that they give you, or they have a threshold ability. So threshold, again, you want to make sure you have seven more cards in your graveyard, which in mono blue might be a little bit more difficult, but in CDH it's very easy to be able to, to stack your graveyard. And it reads, you pay a blue, you tap, and you sacrifice Cephalic Coliseum. Target player draws three cards, then discards three cards from his or her hand. This is the reason why it's very CDH playable, because it allows you to draw for basically two mana, draw three, uh, discard three. This is this is basically looting at its finest. And yeah, two, ma two mana, three cards looted. That, that's some great ability right there. And the fact they can tap for blue. Yes, it will harm you. But ZDH, obviously, your life total is a resource, so you're probably not going to worry about dying to this card all that often or really hurting your life total all that often because you're probably going to cash it in as soon as you can anyway. So that's what's really nice about stuff like Coliseum. There's reason it's almost $10 for a copy from, from Odyssey. And, yeah, it's got some great art on it. And, yeah, really, what can I say? Is that if you can get Threshold online, this card is amazing. And yeah, that's really all I have to say about that. Again, if you're interested in checking more about this card, definitely look into more its uh, CDH list because this puts in a lot of work there. Next card is another card in the series. Actually, a lot of these are. This comes out of Visions, and that is Coral Atoll. Coral Atoll enters battlefield tapped, and when it enters battlefield, sacrifice it unless you return an untapped island you control to its owner's hand, and you can tap to add colorless and a blue. Obviously, we talked about this in my last episode with uh, Karoo, which does the exact same thing in white. And these are nice if you have ways to get landfall shenanigans. It's a way to get an island back to your hand to play in a later turn. If this can come in untapped, that's pretty nice. So Amulet of Vigor on the battlefield, let's say, or uh, another ability takes away some of the abilities of non-basic lands. And yeah, it's just a really nice way to be able to get some extra land shenanigans going. Not much else to really say about this one, but it's it's got some interesting upside. Next card is Desert of the Mindful. Again, just as I was talking about in white, this is a cycle out of Amenket, where you had lands that would come untapped, they were desert lands, come untapped and had cycling for one and then the color of that land. So you could discard the card and draw a card. Obviously, like I said, cards was uh, back in Amonkhet and some in Hour of Devastation. They had desert synergies. So if you have something like Scavenger Grounds, obviously you can sacrifice this to that and then be able to exile everyone's graveyard instead of having to exile the Scavenger Grounds itself. So it's nice to have. It's nice to be able to cycle it out and be able to draw cards. It's nice to be able to level land when you need it. So I just really like these cycling lands. 
because they're never really a dead draw in Commander, especially in the mid to late game, because you can always cash him in if you absolutely need to, or, or if you have him early on the game, you can just play him tapped. You get your land. I really don't see any downside to playing these in your deck. The next card here is actually a name of a podcast out there. So yeah, if, if you want to listen to another good podcast, definitely go listen to the Fairy Conclave podcast. Maybe I digress. Fairy Conclave enters Battlefield Tapped, as do a lot of these. This is a land that originally came out in Urza's Legacy. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember if this one's from a cycle or not. But anyway, um, it, it's definitely a land that can turn into a creature. So obviously tapped to add blue, or you can pay one to blue. Fairy Conclave becomes a 2-1 blue fairy creature with flying until end of turn. It's still a land. Very nice ability to have that Blink Moth, Ink Moth Nexus ability on here. 2-1 evasive ability. You know... Easy to pump, costs two mana. Definitely a way to be able to push some extra points of damage through if you absolutely need to. There's a reason why this card is worth a few bucks, if not more. Um, yeah, it's just a really nice ability to have in your back pocket, especially if you need uh, if you need an attacker, you need a blocker late in the game. It's nice to be able to just say, hey, for two mana, I'm going to get a 2-1 creature with an invasive ability to help protect my life total, to push a few points of damage through. You know, it's just nice to be able to have that ability on a land, which is hard to respond to. So, I really like this card, and I really like this sort of ability, is that you're never really defenseless. Unlike with basic lands, Fairy Conclave says, for two mana, I at least have some sort of defense. I have something to do with this land. And I love creatures, so the fact that this can turn into a creature is real nice. Again, I'm skipping all of the cards that were released as far as the Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate set, because again, these are not in paper, so I will skip that. Moving on, we have Glasspool Shore, which enters Battlefield, tapped to get another MDFC from Zendikar Rising, enters tapped, tapped for blue. Let's say you have Glasspool Mimic, which is a 0-0 shapeshifter rogue costing 2 and a blue. Reads, you may have Glasspool Mimic enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature you control, except it's a shapeshifter rogue in addition to its other types. I mean, the fact that this is a clone on a land, yeah, that is really powerful. There's a reason why this card is so valuable. It's over $5 to get the original copy, more if you want uh, the full art or the promo version, and it's also a rare for a reason. I mean, this is a really good ability, and the fact it comes on a land on the other side, I mean, that is, that is wicked good value. This is the kind of card where if you want to be running a clone deck if you have a lot of cloning things it's great because you have the clone on one side for three mana which is a very very fair rate and the fact you have a land on the other side is that it's never a dead draw this is definitely one of the best cards you're going to be hearing on this list if not the best in my opinion so glass pool mimic really good card nice to have the the ability to have it come and tap later if you really need it just a great card next one up on this list is halimar depths this one came out in World Wake, and yeah, originally it's been reprinted a few times, including Forgotten Realms Commander deck, Commander 2020, etc., etc., and enters the battlefield tapped. has a very interesting ability. When Halimar Depths enters the battlefield, look at the top three cards of your library, then put them back in any order. This has half of the ponder text on it, except for the draw a card ability, but the fact that you can do some top deck manipulation on a land, that's what I really enjoy about these sorts of lands, is... When I'm building a blue deck, I do always look at Halmar Depths and think, huh, how badly do I want to be able to reset the top of my library? I want to make sure that if I, for some reason, don't have a draw spell in hand, 
how can I make sure that I'm able to draw something useful on my next turn? Well, or on this turn, let's say. And Halimar Adepts allows me to do that on a land. Obviously, the fact it comes in tapped kind of, is kind of a bummer. But on the other hand, the, the fact that I can do that ponder effect and rearrange the top three cards in my library and not have to use a spell slot on that is horribly underrated. Helmar Depths is obviously very nice back in the day to be able to play in other formats, and I really think it's a it's a nice ability to have even in even now in EDH with all the power creep that's been happening. I just like the ability to be able to have some impact on this land to because you never know when you're gonna potentially need that extra extra card on top of your library for some sort of reason. Now, obviously you can do a whole lot of things with top deck manipulation with Sensei Dividing Top especially with Counterbalance and CDH. Obviously, you're not going to play this in CDH, but it's nice to have in a nice casual format where you want to make sure you can uh, potentially get a good draw on your next turn. So, nice card to have. Um, I'm still trying to find a good home for it in one of my blue decks, but eventually I'll probably find a good way to, to have that in there. Next card is Hall of the Storm Giants. This is the cycle of lands from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And reads, if you control two or more other lands, Hall of the Storm Giants enters the battlefield tapped. Tapped to add a blue, and you can pay five and a blue. Reads, until end of turn, Hall of Storm Giants becomes a 7-7 seven, seven blue giant creature with ward three. Still land. So whenever it becomes the target of a spell or a an opponent controls counter, and, uh, counter it unless that player pays three. The fact that you can have a land for six mana turning into a 7-7 seven, seven giant with ward three... That's pretty nice, especially if you can find a, a way to be able to get push that creature through. Seven damage for Ward 3 is something you can do every turn is really nice. Yes, you do need to have seven mana technically because this thing needs to be untapped uh, for you to be able to do anything with it. But still, the, the ability to just say, yeah, you know, for six mana, I have a 7-7 seven, seven that actually has protective ability of Ward 3. You really can't do a whole lot against that. That's really nice. There is a reason why this card is uh, definitely over a buck, whereas some of the other ones in the series were not. Um, th this is a really nice land to have. Obviously, it's going to come in tapped probably more often than not. It was obviously built more for standard or for, for, for different... Yeah, I think it's a standard legal set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's definitely built for standard. But... Um, yeah, it was, or was it? Yeah, I, I honestly don't remember. But anyway, it's really nice to have that out there. Whoa, the promo version is $100. I think, wow, okay, that that's interesting. Wow. But yeah, having, having a 7-7 seven, seven creature that you can just get out there with Ward 3 is really nice. I really like the cycle of lands because, again, I just like lands that can turn into creatures that can do things for you to help you out. So, again, that's all the Storm Giants. Next one we're going to move on to is something from Our Devastation, another cycle, and that's Ipnu Rivulet. It's a desert land that can tap to add colorless to your mana pool, and I said I was going to skip that, but hear me out on this one. And, and you also have another ability to tap and pay one life to add blue to your mana pool. So you can do either or, but the real ability on here is paying one to blue and tapping it, sacrificing a desert. Target player puts the top four cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Again, if you're running just a mono blue deck, you're probably only going to have a couple of deserts in there, so this is pro probably not going to be overly helpful. But again, you know, it, it's nice to have that extra ability to be able to, to mill four. Again, really niche, unless you're building a desert deck, so 
probably not something you're going to ever really see too much in EDH. But again, if that's really what you need to be able to get out of it, and you can you can sacrifice it. So if you really need to be able to to mill four, it's nice to be able to have that on a land, even though it does shock you effectively to um, to be able to to get blue mana. So interesting cycle of lands, definitely not the biggest impact in EDH, but you know. I feel like every card has a home somewhere. I have yet to figure out where this one belongs, but there's definitely a home for it. Next we're going to move on is to Juari Ruins, Standard Battlefield Tapped, and then Juari Disruption. It's an instant counter target spell unless it's control. It pays one, costing one to blue. Basically just a counter spell that uh, forces your opponent to have to think about if they can or want to pay mana to not have their spell countered. Pretty simple. It's a counter spell on a land. <laughs> I mean, what else do I have to say about that? Next one is Lonely Sandbar. This is a card I actually do run, I think, in every one of my blue decks. I just like the ability to tap or to have it come in as a land if I need it. It taps for blue, or I can cycle it for a single blue, discard the card, draw a card. Honestly, more often than not, I end up just cycling this card to just be able to draw an extra card. Or if I absolutely need it and I really need a land drop, I can drop it. It comes in tapped, but I can use it later. So I really feel like there's no downside to running cards like this in your commander decks, just because, again, it's a land when you need it, it's an extra card when you need it, it's rarely ever dead in your hand. So I just really like these cards, all the cycling lands I really like. Next one might be the most interesting card on this list, and, and that's saying something. There are a lot of interesting uh, legend, well, not, not legendary lands, but because this one isn't legendary, but there's a lot of very interesting lands in blue. And this one is Magosi the Water Veil. Magosi the Water Veil, enter battlefield tapped. And, you know, surprise, surprise. Uh, you can tap to add blue to your mana pool, or the reason that this is so interesting is you can pay blue and tap it to put an Eon counter on Magosi the Water Veil. You skip your next turn, and then you tap, and it has another ability to tap it, remove an Eon counter from Magosi the Water Veil, and return it to its owner's hand. Take an extra turn after this one. This is an interesting ability. I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure what I would do with this card. I'm, I'm going to check EDH rec here real quick. But it seems to me that the fact that you can get an extra turn spell is always really nice. Um, so, I'm, so I'm seeing a lot of things with a lot, a lot of counter syn synergies here. Uh, extra turns. Attracts, obviously, so you can get extra counters on things. Child of Alara. For some reason, but, but a lot of counter manipulation, Obeka Brute Chronologist has a little bit of use here. Again, it, it, it's just an interesting card that it messes around with extra turns, and that's honestly something interesting. It, it, it's a very weird land, but again, if if you're if you're fine with having extra turn or getting an extra turn, and you can find a way to get around that, this is a very interesting card. That's all I can really say about it. It's interesting. I don't really know what I'd do with it, but. Um, I know there's some brilliant minds out there figuring out exactly how to make this busted, so I'll just leave it to them to, to explain how they're able to make it work, because I have no idea. Next one is Memorial of the Genius. There's Battlefield tapped, tapped add blue, and you can pay four and a blue and tap and sacrifice to draw two cards. It's nice to be able to have a divination on a land. Came out in Dominarian, Commander Legends. Seven cents again. Same thing with Castle Arden or uh, Castle Vantress. is it's basically a little bit of utility on a land. It costs a lot of mana, but again, if you have a bunch of mana open, if you're holding open for counter spells or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, you can sack it 
gain a couple of cards. You know, it's a nice utility to be able to have on a land. Now we're going to go to one of the three legendary lands in a row in the uh, alphabetical order here. And the first one is Minamo School at Water's Edge. Minamo is a legendary land. You can tap to add blue to your mana pool, or you can pay blue and tap it to untap target legendary permanent. This is honestly a really nice be way to be able to untap a legendary permanent of yours that has an activated ability. Say it's in your, your commander has an activated ability that requires them to tap. Minamo, for a very minimal cost, allows you to untap that creature and be able to do something else with it. A uh, very, very easy way to be able to get a combo going if you're able to, especially if you're playing in Simic Colors, where you have a lot of ways to be able to untap your lands. And, yeah, it's basically just a mono-blue or Simic value engine right here. It's a really good land. Untapping is a super underrated way to do things. There's a reason it costs over 30 bucks. It's just a really good card, and the fact that you can tap for blue makes this a really, really OP but also really, really interesting, even if you don't have a way to bust this card, even if you're just getting one untap of a target legendary creature per turn, you're probably still netting something more just by having this card out there. So it's always a plus card to have because it's an island when you need it. It's a utility land when you need it. There's really no downside to this one. Minamo School of Water's Edge is definitely an MVP on this list. Next one we have is another combo enabler, and that is Abora Palace in the Clouds. This card costs $70, has, or $71 actually, as of the time that I'm recording this episode in November 2022. And it's legendary land, tap to add blue to your mana pool, and you can pay one to return Abora Palace in the Clouds to its owner's hand. There's a ton of things you can do with this debt, with this card to be able to put it back in your hand, put it back on the battlefield, put it back in your hand, put it back on the battlefield, it can protect itself from land destruction. Um, just a lot of things you can do with this card. I mean, again, I don't play many other formats, so I know that this is a very good card in certain formats. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to speak to those things, but I know that this has a lot of utility in those formats. So, yeah, that's a Borough Palace in the Clouds. If you're lucky enough to own one, you've got $70 in your pocket right there. Next one was the cycle of lands coming out in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, and that's Odawara Soaring City. Legendary land, tapped out a blue, and they all have the channel ability. So again, it's going to cost three generic and a blue. Discard the card. So in this case, discard Odawara Soaring City. Return target artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to its owner's hand. This ability costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Well, that's really nice to have, right? Because again... If you have your commander out, this costs, excuse me, this costs three. If you have multiple legendary creatures out there, you, this could cost one. And the great thing is, this cannot be countered. That is why this card is so good. That is why this card is over $10 for a regular copy. That is why this card is CEDH playable and played in a lot of CEDH decks. Because it cannot be countered because you're discarding the card. Yes, the ability can be changed, or the, the target can be changed. But it cannot be countered because this card is not actually cast. It has an activated ability. You discard from your hand. It does things. But also, it's great as just being a basic land, too. So, honestly, the, the, these last three cards I mentioned, the Legendary Lands, definitely the most... I'd say potentially the most powerful out of any of the five colors of, of, from, these, from this cycle is that these three are just busted good in so many ways, and that's definitely what helps, I, in my opinion, makes blue the most powerful color in Magic, and it's not even close. So, 
Yeah, those are the three legendary lands. Moving on, we have Remote Isle. Again, Air of the Battlefield tap, tap data blue, and Cycling 2. I just love the Cycling lands. What can I say? I will occasionally run this when, uh, when I want to make sure I have two of the Cycling effects in my deck. Nice to be able to just cash in when you need it. Again, I'm skipping lands with colorless abilities only, and also I'm skipping the lands with storage counters, like the Mercadian Masks series, uh, where you can put storage counters on things, be able to add blue to your mana pool, or... Uh, it just... I... I feel like if those lands can't come in immediately and provide you with blue mana, they just don't belong in this series for me to talk about. Because they all do the same thing. There's, there's a cycle of them for all five colors, I just would prefer to talk about the, the lands that provide colored mana as soon as you tap them. So I'm going to move on to Surprise and Scary, which uh, was, again, another cycle of lands from Mercadian Masks. Uh, all five colors have this. Comes into play tap with two depletion counters on it. If you tap and remove a depletion counter from you, add two blue mana to your mana pool. And when there are no depletion counters on, left on it, you sacrifice it. Again, Proliferation is really nice. It comes in tapped. You probably will sacrifice it, but again, if you're playing in a faster meta where you just need to be able to get that kind of effect out there, it's really nice to have. And if you find ways to proliferate, if you're playing in a blue proliferate deck, such as Atraxa, let's say, very popular commander, all of a sudden you can proliferate this every turn, you never run out of depletion counters, and it basically pays for two times its cost. So... Yes, on the first turn, you're able to use the ability. Maybe you're you, you, you're basically coming even because this comes in tapped. But if you can proliferate it every turn, all of a sudden you basically... I think it feels like you're up on mana at that point. So it, it's just really nice to be able to have in that sort of deck, especially. Or if you're just trying to be able to power things out quickly and you don't care if it gets sacrificed. Next card on this list is Seafloor Debris. Debris. Uh, Seafloor Debris comes into play tapped, tapped to add blue to your mana pool, or you can tap and sacrifice it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Always nice to be able to have an ability to get the uh, mana confluence on anything, on, on any kind of card, and the fact you don't have to pay a life is nice, but again, you do have to sacrifice it, so you kind of want to have this as a plan of last resort if you're going to be using it. Really nice uh, to be able to have that ability, but again, it does come in tapped, and if you're in a mono blue deck, it's probably not going to do you anything, so... Again, definitely best for for multicolored decks. Moving on, we have Seagate, which enters the battlefield tapped. It's from Baldur's Gate. Again, you choose a color other than blue, and you can tap that blue or one mana of the chosen color. Again, you're not going to run this in mono blue decks. You're going to run this in multicolored decks, and it, since it really doesn't have for blue only, I'm going to keep moving on. Next card is another modal dual face card. Stop me if you've heard this one before. And that is Seagate Reborn. And it's it's in the cycle of cards from Zendikar Rising where if it enters the battlefield, you may pay three life. If you don't, it enters the battlefield tapped. So unlike all the other ones, this one can come in untapped if you're willing to pay the life. But again, the other side is Seagate Restoration, which costs a sorcery cost of four blue, blue, blue. It reads, draw cards equal to the number of cards in your hand, plus one. You have no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. Wow. If you have a hand of even five cards, this is pay seven, draw five, get that no maximum hand size for the rest of the game. That's a really powerful spell. And if you have a hand size of seven or more, well, that's seven cards for seven mana or more. There is so much value in this land. And then being able to basically have as a shock land on the other side if you need it to, to be, this card is a real all-star. 
There's a reason why this card is $17 right now for a single copy of it. It was a mythic, and there's every reason for it to be $17. It is a really, really good land. I'm going to skip Search for Azkanta because, again, it transforms into a land that starts as an enchantment, so we're going to keep moving to Seed of the Synod. And Seed of the Synod, again, just like with Ancient Den, uh, before it for white, was originally printed in Mirrodin back in 2004, and promptly banned out of modern <laughs> because of affinity for artifacts, um, just being so busted there. And Sea of the Cyanon is no different. It's an artifact land tapped out of blue. And again, it's nice to have for artifact decks, but unfortunately can also get blown up because it is an artifact. So you have to be careful with these sorts of lands, especially in EDH where there's a lot of artifact removal running around. So just the kind of thing where it's nice to have, but just be careful with it. Next one is our hideaway land for blue, coming out of Lorwyn originally, and these are the ones where when the land comes into play tapped, and when, you, you, when it does, look at the top four cards of your library, remove one from the game face down, then put the rest on the bottom of your library. Tap to add a blue to your mana pool, or you can pay blue and tap it. You may play the remove card without paying its mana cost if a library has 20 or fewer cards in it. Obviously in Commander, it's very difficult to be able to get a library down to 20 or fewer cards, so I feel like this one is much more difficult to be able to pull off than the, the white version of this, where you just had to attack with a couple of creatures. Um, this one you really have to jump through some hoops for. Obviously, it was meant more for the 60-card constructed formats because that's what was out there when it came out in uh, 2007. So, yeah, just, just nice to have, especially if you're doing a lot of self-mill, but I feel like with even with self-mill, um, it's kind of hard to get to 20 or fewer cards in your library. And... And I feel like this, there's probably more powerful things you can do when you have 20 or fewer more cards in your library. I'm looking at you, Brand Freeze. Um, yeah, it's, it's nice to have, but again, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to get there. So I'm not really sure about its utility, but if you can find a way to make it work, definitely go for it. Next one is another modal dual face card. Stop me if you've heard this one before, seriously. Uh, Salundi Isle. Enters Battlefield Tap, tap down a blue. But also it has instant for the Saloon Divisioned, instant for two and a blue, reads, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an instant or sorcery card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Just a nice be able, way to be able to get an instant or sorcery off the top of your deck, put it in your hand for three mana, instant speed, have a land on the other side. Nice little utility card and uncommon, it's 34 cents. You know, if, if you're looking for, especially if you're looking for an answer, to someone else's spell, you're looking for a counter spell or just, you know, a card draw spell, whatever. It's nice to be able to, for three mana, to be able to look at the top six cards in your library, put something useful into your hand that may be able to save you later on. So, just nice, nice utility to be able to, to do some things there. And, yeah, I mean, just being able to look at the top six cards in your library, that's good at any time. It also gives you some nice card selection. So, if you're running Alliances or Sorceries, you're running blue because you probably are. Not in all cases, but if you are... It's nice to be able to have a way to be able to select some of those things. And, you know, the fact that the land stable to the other side is never a bad thing. Moving on next, we have Skyline Cascade. There's Battlefield tapped. When Skyline Cascade enters the battlefield, target creature an opponent controls doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Nice little sleep effect here. Definitely something which you could use if you're going to play this. Obviously, in Commander, it's probably a little bit more difficult. Definitely, it was meant for more of the limited environment. But again, you never know. It's nice to have the, the sleep ability on a land. So, 
I don't know. I I just really like these sorts of effects because they they cannot be countered. They can't be really messed with too much, and you're getting a land into play. So I don't really see much of a downside to these. Obviously, it comes in tapped, which does hurt it, but your opponent's going to lose a creature, at least for that turn. They can't attack or block with it, can't use an activated ability if it requires a tap. You know, just I, I, always, I just like these sorts of abilities, even if they're meant for limited. You never know when these could be useful in EDH. Same thing with the next card in this list, Soaring Sea Cliff. There's Battlefield tapped. When Soaring Sea Cliff enters the battlefield, target creature gains flying until end of turn. Just like with Skyline Cascade, being able to give your creature flying until end of turn on a land is really nice. Un unlike playing just a basic land, this one actually gives one of your creatures a potentially dangerous evasive ability. And if you have a creature that is massive or really needs to do combat damage to an opponent but doesn't have a way to be able to hit through, the fact that a land can give it that evasive ability till end of turn cannot be understated. Honestly, I just love these effects, and I'm just not going to stop talking about them. <laughs> these are great. Next card is a $20 card on that is part of the reserved list, and that is Soldevi Excavations. And if Soldevi Excavations would come into play, sacrifice an untapped island instead. If you do, put Soldevi Excavations into play. If you don't, put it into its owner's graveyard. You can tap to add one colorless and one blue to your mana pool, or you can pay one and tap it to look at the top card in your library. You may look put that card in the bottom of your library. Basically, you get to scry. It's on the reserve list, so it's 20 bucks. It's nice to be able to have scry on a land, but you do have to sacrifice an untapped island for this one, which does definitely lessen its usefulness in-game. But yeah, the, the fact you can scry on a land, you know, especially for two mana versus Castle Vantures, which is five, you know, it, it's nice to be able to have Scry on there, but again, it does have a pretty high opportunity cost, so you have to really want this to work. So, anyway, just some interesting things to to think about in in regards to this in regards to this card and this entire cycle. Honestly, you kind of have to pick and choose what you you want most. Next one is Civil Civilianite Temple. Sorry about that. Um, and it comes in battlefield tap, tap to add bleeder man pool. You can tap and sacrifice the Civilianite Temple. I, I hope I have that correct. Um, add blue blue to your mana pool. Again, it's got that nice crystal vein thing going on where you can tap it to add one mana, or you can tap it and sacrifice it to add two mana if you really need to accelerate your mana. So again, really nice to have in certain decks. Obviously not meant for every deck, but again, I think that's kind of the way it is for every card. Is that I hate auto-includes, I hate staples. I don't like those terms because I feel like every card has a home. Maybe you, we just haven't found the right home for it. So this card, again, it's a cycle and I know there's a home for it somewhere. Next card is potentially the most interesting one on this list. It's part of the reserved list too, and that's Teferi's Isle out of Mirage, and you tap, come to the play tap, and you tap to add blue-blue to your mana pool, but it has phasing. So if, uh, if you don't know what phasing does, uh, this phases in or out before you untap during each of your untap steps. While it's phased out, it's treated as though it doesn't exist. Nothing like a land that comes in and out of play. <laughs> just just a really fun card. Um, again, I, I, know, I know that there's a lot of stuff going on, um, going on with this card. Phasing is always really confusing sometimes, but again, if you can find a way to make it work, definitely kudos. 
because it it seems like a very fun card. It's kind of like the kind of card I'd love to find a way to just do stupid things with it. So I just enjoy it from a flavor standpoint, honestly. It's great. I'm going to skip Thriving Isle because it's the exact same thing as Seagate. So I'm going to move on to Tolaria. And this was a cycle of lands from Legends, actually. They're all legendary lands, one for each color, and this one taps to add a blue. But it has another activated ability where you can tap it and target creature loses banding and all bands with other abilities until end of turn. Activate only during any upkeep step. Or up, upkeep, sorry, unkeep. Oh, that that's going to go in the vault of terrible, terrible uh, uh, muffed words on stream here. Anyway, Teleria... Yeah, unless you're playing anyone with banding, um, it's just kind of nice to have. Uh, the The art is really nice, a nice tropical island feel to it with the with the palm trees, and it's basically a, a glorified island that costs you ten bucks. So <laughs> it, it's just really fun, really fun. Unless you're playing someone with banding, in which case, get wrecked, banding player. <laughs> Um, Peter, I, I know, uh, yeah, a good friend of the show, Peter, a.k.a. Mono Whiteboarder, has been known to dabble with banding from time to time, or at least talk about banding online, so, um, if I ever play against him with banding, I should definitely have this card, so he, uh, loses that ability, um, on his creatures, so, so get wrecked, Peter, get wrecked. Next card is another one that's on the reserve list, it's from Urza Saga, it's Banding Commander, surprise, surprise, now it's Tolarian Academy, and you can tap it to add blue to your mana pool for each artifact you control. There's a reason why this card is banned. I talked about Caracas in my last episode being banned because it was very powerful. Well, Tolarian Academy is 10 times probably more powerful, especially with all the artifacts that are running out there, running around out there. Easy to untap, easy to abuse. There's a reason why this card is $130. There's a reason why it's banned in Legacy and banned in Commander, Restricted and Vintage. It is just so good. There, the, the, it, it, it's busted good. There's a reason why. <laughs> There's so many reasons why it's why it's banned in basically every format that, that it's in. So, yep, that's Tolarian Academy, but it's got some nice art to it. The next card is one I've actually seen in, in play a lot, and that is Tolaria West. And Tolaria West is a land that enters the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add a blue, or it has the transmute mechanic. This is something that came out in Future Sight, and basically transmute is you can pay one blue blue, discard this card, search your library for a card with converted mana cost zero, since it is a land, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. Transmute only as a sorcery. Now, there are a lot of cards in Magic's history that have zero CMCs. A lot of combo pieces. I'm looking at you, Lion's Eye Diamond. And the fact that you can transmute a land into being able to tutor up one of your combo pieces cannot be understated. It's nice to be able to have a land that can come in when you need it, or something to be transmuted in for something else you may need later. Uh, if you can get this in for Mox Diamond, like, like I said, Lion's Eye Diamond, Mox Amber, Mana Crypt, I mean, just anything like that. The fact you can do that with this, or you know, you could even uh, you could even technically f find a land with this too, I, I believe. Um. Yeah, I, I want to I wanna say you might be able to get a land with this, too, so you could be able to tutor out something else. So just really nice to be able to have that sort of tutor effect on a land. I think it's the only, maybe the only land where you actually have that ability in the entire game. So really interesting card. I've seen it in play to get combo pieces. 
definitely seems like the kind of thing where if you have something you definitely want to get with a zero converting cost or something with an X in its cost, this is a great way to be able to tutor it up immediately. You have two, well, actually, technically one more card because I'm going to skip Vivid Creek, but the last one I'm going to talk about here is Umara Skyfall, Center Battlefield Tapped. On the other side, Umara Wizard, 4 3 Merkfolk Wizard for costing 4 and a blue, and reads whenever you cast an instant sorcery or wizard spell, Umara Wizard games flying until end of turn. Really nice limited card. Probably not going to get a whole lot of EDH play, but again, it's a modal dual phase card, and those have a lot of extra utility. So anyway, that's my rundown, my personal rundown, on all of the non-mystic lands that produce only blue mana. Obviously, there are some extra cards on this list on Scryfall that I skipped over, but they only tap for colorless usually, or only ever at all. And I just really wanted to talk about blue. So I'll, there was, you know, in retrospect, there was a lot of really powerful cards here. Obviously, the legendary lands, Manamo, Oboro, Odawara, obviously, uh, Tolarian Academy... And just some interesting effects that give you fun little combat tricks, like Skyline Cascades, Soaring Sea Cliff, um, Teleria West, and just kind of the fun little ways to be able to do cheeky things like Glass Pool Mimic, or just be able to beat people over the head with Hall of the Storm Giants as a creature. Cephalic Coliseum draws you extra cards. Fury Conclave becomes a nice little efficient creature with evasion. And Teferi's Isle is just fun to think about a land with phasing. And Teleria obviously prevents banding. So just a lot of really fun, very diverse set of cards in blue. Definitely some things on here that I use personally or have wanted to find a home for in my personal decks. And I hope that by listening to this episode here, you found a new blue non-basic land that you're really passionate about. That's why I'm doing this series, because I'm learning some things just by going through these cards, and I hope you feel the same. Before I get to the end of the episode, I'd like to give another huge shout out and thank you to the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash quarantine. Huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Nick S, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, and Coach j for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. And if you like what you heard here today, you can find my podcast on the usual podcast outlets as your Google, Apple, Spotify, Player FM, Rocketcast, Pocketcast, Overcast, and a million others. I never remember all of them, but if it's a major podcast outlet, you probably can find myself on there. You can also find me on the Twitter at, at MTGInQuarantine. You find the happy-looking Ulamog wearing a pair of headphones. You found the right place. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG In Quarantine podcast. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.